0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue our look at America in the New World Order with author and prophecy teacher Tom Hughes. As we begin our time together today, I want to encourage all of our new listeners to request your free New Listener Pack. The New Listener Pack includes the latest issue of our Prophetic Observer Newsletter and a free gift. Request your free new Listener Pack when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Yesterday, Tom Hughes began unpacking America's future in light of the ancient Hebrew prophets. Here's Tom and Staff Evangelist Josh Davis to continue their look at America in the New World Order.
1: We are talking about the formation of a one-world system, a new world order, and how that is taking place. Pastor Tom, what role will religion play in the end times new world order?
2: It will have a major role. Okay, if we were to go back to, gosh, when Saddam Hussein was in power, and, you know, the U.S. and Europe said, oh, we're just going to go over into these Islamic territories, We're going to control them all. didn't work out so well. You know, we have terrorism, Islamic terrorism all over the world. And what the elite have realized since then is, hey, if we're going to control the world, we've got to control religion. Mm -hmm. And if we can control religion, we can manipulate the people. So that's a key factor when it comes to this kingdom of Antichrist during the last days, this whole new world order. It must be done. What's interesting about it is the Bible told us this would happen during the the coming tribulation period, and the elite are realizing, hey, they've got to go that direction. Satan knew this all along, and Satan wants to be worshipped, but ultimately he's going to use a religious system in order to get his Antichrist into power. Then he'll eliminate the religious system, so only Antichrist will be worshipped. But a religion is going to be the thing that's going to be used to manipulate the masses. And it's necessary, absolutely necessary.
1: We see so many different religions, but there's also a move to coalesce these things, whether it be Chrislam that was popular a few years ago and some of these things. What are some of the hallmarks of these religions to get us to a place where everyone is willing to lay down their differences and come together as one, even in religion?
2: I'd say that the real problem with coalescing the world together with a religious system that that people can basically unify under for a time is Christianity, because Christianity does something that other religions don't do. It says there's no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ comes first and everything else follows. What all other religions say is basically... Do good. If you really do good, then you're going to be pleasing to a God if there is a God. You know, they don't even necessarily believe in a God, but they still have a religion, which I find interesting. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to this. So genuine Christianity is a problem for this. Fake Christianity plays in really well here, though. Yes. Because even within the church now, you know, I've been a pastor for a long time. And I hear it all the time, way more than ever before. Stop preaching Jesus so much. Stop talking about the Bible so much. Don't talk about sin or anything like that. Listen, what the church really needs to be about is doing good things and doing good works. And that's the real proof of being right with God. The Pope said this, and we would expect that from the Catholic Church. But the Protestant Church, or I would say the non-Catholic Church, is as just seems to me to be every bit as corrupt when it comes to this doctrine. People from the Protestant side won't come out and say it, the good works are necessary to be right with God, but they will put that pressure on you. If you really know, you talk about Jesus all the time, but listen, it's about doing good things. Listen, Josh, I look at the uh, Gospel of John,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and when Mary anoints Jesus with the perfume. It's like the night before uh, Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. Mary anoints Jesus with this perfume, and then the disciples are talking among themselves, and the phrase is brought up. What a waste. This perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus knew what the intent of their hearts was. He said, Hey, the poor you have with you always, but me not so much. When she said, We'll be told some. A memorial to her. It was about worshiping Jesus first. Well, we find out that it wasn't necessarily the disciples as a whole, but it was Judas who led that conversation. And the Bible tells us that Judas said it not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he held on to the money bag. Mm. So, this is what's happening with these elite. They're going to develop this religious system. It's going to be sold to the world as really caring about the climate, caring about your neighbor, caring about these people over here. I mean, listen to what they're telling us now. If you really care about these things and you're a burden on society, like some of the things I hear coming out of Canada, you have cancer, you're going to die, you know, take the way out of dignity and honor and be willing to be euthanized. Mm So it's to the point where they're actually already working this out for the betterment of humanity. So when it comes to work for the the betterment of everyone else, listen, but it's not really about good works. It's really about these people at the top. They only care about themselves. Listen, when they take everything, as Klaus Schwab says, by 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, who's going to own it? Somebody's got to own it. They're going to own it. So they don't actually believe any of these things that they're telling us, but they expect the people to believe it, and people in mass will believe, yeah, this is good. And this religious system that's coming is going to be so appealing. It's hard to argue against good work. Listen, I say, if you really know Jesus, you will do good things. Mm-hmm. They're saying, well, you keep Jesus being the only way out of it. You can say you believe in a Jesus, but you've got to do good things. Revelation chapter 13 talks about the false prophet. When he comes on the scene, he's going to have two horns like a lamb, but he's going to speak like a dragon. In other Mm -hmm. words, two horns like a lamb. He's going to appear to be Christian. And to those who don't know the Bible, what's this going to appear like? Listen, the false prophet could come on the scene and do everything Jesus did. Let's just say he could. He could heal the sick, the lame could walk, the blind could see, right on down the list. He could feed the poor. He could feed the masses, do all of these things. But if he denies the Lord Jesus Christ, he's speaking like a dragon. This is what is coming. It's going to be an absolute denial of Jesus Christ, but there are going to be line wonders that are going to take place as this religious system develops. We know that because the Bible says there are line wonders. We know with technology that's developed right now, heck with Neuralink, they're saying the lame will walk, the the devil here the blind will see they're saying that but it's a line wonder it's not going to be real jesus was real these are going to bring about false miracles false hope false christ false worship and it's going to all appeal to the person who says they're a christian but they aren't really a believer in the lord jesus christ paul describes it second timothy chapter three where he says in the last days, perilous times will come. Yes, And then he goes on to give the characteristics. And one of the characteristics, he says, men will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Yes. They're going to have a form of churchianity, uh, Christianity, but they're going to deny the truth. They're not really going to believe the Bible for what it says. So fake Protestant Christianity is going to fall for this hook, line, and sinker, and they're going to actually promote it And they will be condemning and humiliating and mocking and scoffing at anybody who believes the truth of the Bible, that Jesus is the way, the truth and life, no one comes through the Father except by him. But this last day of religion, it'll be appealing, but it will be oppressive to those who believe in Christ.
1: Mm. And that's such a very important thing to keep in mind. And we see this happening already in our world today because... I remember reading a survey last year that came out that said that one-third of the quote-unquote evangelical pastors say that being good enough is good enough to get you into heaven. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine who has an agnostic in their family. They approached one of these woke pastors and said, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I'm trying to be a good person. And you know, what else should I do? And the pastor told him, You're on the right path. Just keep doing what you're doing. And so we see this so sadly taking shape in our world today. We see things happening across this world. Ezekiel 38 and 39 speaks of Gog, the ruler of Magog, joining with the allies to attack Israel in the end times. And I agree with what you say in your book that Magog does seem to refer to Russia How do we see Russia taking a role in what's happening today, especially when it comes to Israel and the Middle East, the war with Ukraine? How do we see these things of Ezekiel 38 and 39 unfolding on a world stage today?
2: That is quite an interesting conversation, especially given all that we see with Russia and Ukraine right now. And you have the globalists on the side of the United States, Europe, we have NATO, on the one side. On the other side, what do we have? Russia. Now China's involved with Russia, of course, Iran, North Korea. So we, we have this world war that is definitely, appears to me, to be developing. What's mm-hmm. going to come of it, I don't know, but it doesn't look good, does it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're looking at this and thinking, this looks exceptionally bad. What's interesting, in Ezekiel chapter 38, the Bible says that God will turn They'll put hooks in their jaws and turn them around, meaning Russia, and turn them around and pull them down to the area of Israel. So it appears that Russia is pushing a different direction. Hence, God says, I'm going to turn you around. I look at that. That's one factor. In this, the same thing that is happening, too, is Russia is getting closer and closer with Iran. I don't think a lot of people know that Russia and Iran and Turkey have not always gotten along. In fact, still, they're not perfect friends, but the more pressure there is from the West, the more Russia is developing a better relationship with Iran, and it's just a matter of time between Russia, Iran, and Turkey get along good enough to be able to come against Israel on the mountains of Israel, as the Bible says. There's so many different factors involved in this. God's Word is so exact and so detailed that even in Ezekiel chapter 38, I believe it's verse 7, God even says that Russia, being Gog, the leader of Russia and Magog, will be a guard for the troops that are going to come against Israel. Be a guard for them is what it says. That's exactly how Russia is acting right now in Syria. They are acting as a guard. If Israel goes into Syria to take out some Iranian weapons or whatever it is. Russia has to allow that to happen. If Russia doesn't allow it to happen, then Israel can't do that. Russia is acting as a guard right now in the area of Syria, just at the north of the northern border of Israel. God's details are so incredible. I don't think, personally, the Ezekiel 38 war is going to happen tomorrow. I have some friends that think it's going to happen, like, any day. I think there's a few more things that are going to take place before the Ezekiel 38 battle does happen. Mm. But we can see the dynamics of the geopolitical world really shaping up because of the Russia-Ukraine escalation. It's really remarkable to watch. It's troubling because people are dying, but we live in amazing days when you look at it from the realm of Bible prophecy and realize everything is developing how God said it would, and we'll watch it continue to develop more and more. War is awful. War is terrible. I'm not joyful about any of these awful things that are happening, but I do know ultimately Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to He's going to right all of the wrongs, and he's going to fix all of the messes that men have done.
1: Yes, and we're talking with Pastor Tom Hughes about his book, America in the New World Order, and you can pick up your copy by visiting our website swrc.com or by calling us today 1-800-652-1144. Also connect with Pastor Tom on his website, YouTube channel and more by searching Hope for Our Times. The website is hopeforourtimes.com. What is America's role in Bible prophecy?
2: Well, this is going to discourage some people, but I don't, see America as having a role in Bible prophecy. At best, America is a protester when the Ezekiel chapter 38, Gog, Magog invasion of Israel takes place at best, but America is not a superpower during the tribulation period. And I, you know, I've believed for years that America is going to come to an end as we know it based upon what the Bible doesn't say about America. It's just not there. You know, the main players in the last days are Russia, all of the East, Europe is going to be a major player. But America seems to be swallowed up into this Ten Kingdom system of antichrist. So, you know, I used to say it's going to be war or it's going to be economic catastrophe or the rapture. Any of those could do it. Or now we're looking good, just that collapse from within as we watch America right now. America, like the Roman Empire of old, is just being destroyed from within. But America does not have a role. It propped up Israel, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And Israel became a nation recognized by the UN back in 1947 and 1948. But America is fading from the scene and fading rapidly, thanks to, I believe, the globalist and deep state infiltration that we have in our government.
1: Well, we've talked about a lot of... Heavy stuff, a lot of depressing stuff in one sense, but I like the fact that it is informational. And friends, that's why we bring you this kind of content, so that you will be aware to the mindset that is taking place in our world today. Pastor Tom, your ministry is called Hope for Our Times. I'd like you to end our time together by giving our listeners hope. And how can we find hope in Jesus during these dark days that we live in? People
2: will call someone like us a fear monger, but the reality of it is they're pushing all the fear on us, the wars and rumors of wars, threats of economic catastrophe, all the things they're telling us. We're just repeating, hey, this is what they are saying, so Jesus warned us this is what they were going to say, but he doesn't want us to stop at the bad news. That's what the devil wants us to do, stop at the bad news. No, Jesus lets us know these bad signs point to the great sign. Jesus is coming. The shortest-lived empire is going to be the kingdom of Antichrist. And after that, Jesus returns at Armageddon. Listen, I believe a rapture takes place before the tribulation begins. We're going up, and we're going to come back with him. And Jesus wants us to have hope. He even said in Luke chapter 21, after he gave these these signs that are fearful in and of themselves, if you don't know the Lord, he said, look up, and when you see these things begin to take place, Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. These signs point to the good news, the great sign. Jesus coming, lift up your head, means with expected joy. Don't have to be bummed out. That's what the fear mongers want, the ones who bring the news to us every single day, because fear manipulates. But we don't have to be afraid. We have the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: The complete two-day look at America in the New World Order is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tom Hughes' compelling book, America in the New World Order, examines America's future in light of the ancient Hebrew prophets. With a gift for making complex ideas clear, Tom takes a biblical view of the intrigues behind the headlines. America in the New World Order explains what you need to know for your family's well-being. Order America in the New World Order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Larry Stam, author of Serving in His Court, comes now to share insight and encouragement on the most effective ways to share the good news
3: with others. Shalom, friends. Larry Stam here, so excited that you are joining us as we continue our series, Serving in His Court, Biblical Principles for Personal Evangelism from the Heart of a Coach. We're continuing to explore and unpack the gospel message, specifically in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, or Messiah, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Last time we explored substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament, Today, we're going to talk about resurrection in the Old Testament and also the first century Jewish view of resurrection. Hopefully, this will be an encouraging study for you, because what we're doing is we're building gospel foundations. You know, the better we understand the gospel message, I argue, the more effectively we are going to be in sharing that message with others who need the Lord and that's the purpose for delving into the gospel in the Old Testament. Today, I want to talk about resurrection in the Old Testament. Did you know resurrection is a Jewish concept? In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Daniel talks about the fact that at the end of days in Daniel 12 2, the Bible says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, that's a euphemism for death, shall awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt the context for Daniel 12, too was resurrection at the end of days. If you remember, David in Psalm 16:10 expressed confidence in resurrection when he wrote, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Finally, in Job 19, verses 25 through 27, just as an example, the writer of Job wrote, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed again a euphemism for death and after my skin is destroyed this i know that in my flesh i shall see god so there you go there are a couple of examples of resurrection in the old testament there are many others i would implore you to do a study on your own what about at the time of christ in the first century what was the jewish understanding of resurrection Well, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews wrote that Abraham believed in resurrection. You can look that up in Hebrews 11. In John chapter 11, just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus and Martha have a fascinating exchange beginning in verse 21 of John 11. Then Martha will say to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says in John eleven twenty four, 24, a fascinating verse. She says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Why do you suppose she said those words? Because she understood the scriptures. She knew about resurrection in the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. Her Jewish faith would have informed her of that reality. Next, in Acts chapter 23, there's a fascinating exchange between Paul, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees in Acts 23, verses 6 through 8. Paul uses the Pharisees' belief in resurrection to his advantage while he's debating the Jewish religious leaders. I'm reading from Acts 23, verses 6 through 8. The word says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he's cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So the Pharisees believed in resurrection. They also believed in angels and the supernatural. The Sadducees did not. It's interesting to note that when Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, the Apostle Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 15 17, he writes, If Christ has not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Friends, we must remember as believers in Jesus Christ that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. In fact, the resurrection, the literal and physical resurrection of Jesus, is the historical fact upon what biblical Christianity rests or falls. And I'd encourage you to do a further study on resurrection on the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. It's actually the most extensive chapter on resurrection in the entire New Testament and is worth a deeper study. Now, as we continue our study, I want now briefly as we conclude this time of studying substitutionary atonement and resurrection according to the scriptures in the Old Testament, I want to read you substitutionary atonement and resurrection from Isaiah 53. Here's substitutionary atonement, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. The Word of God says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is substitutionary atonement according to the Old Testament. Now we see resurrection resurrection. A powerful allusion to resurrection later in Isaiah 53, verse 9, the Bible says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand." He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So, friends, how is it possible that in Isaiah 53, 9, the suffering servant is dead, his grave is made with the wicked? Yet in verse 10, it says, then when you shall make his offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Again, future tense, verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. That's a powerful allusion to resurrection. So we see substitutionary atonement and resurrection according to the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53, most appropriately. I hope this study has been an encouragement to you, friends. Next time we're going to discuss powerful and painful and positive implications of both receiving Christ and rejecting Christ. Until next time, friends, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom. Tom Hughes takes a biblical view of the intrigues
0: behind the headlines in his book entitled America in the New World Order. Order America in the New World Order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Marvin McElvaney will have a Bible in the News report and we will continue our teaching series with Steve Butler on why we should study Bible prophecy. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. And remember, God is still on the throne and prayer changes things.